Okay, we are in the book of Malachi. We are in the book of Malachi. Let's remember this book was most likely written by Ezra, the priest, who returned from exile to help restore the religious life of Jerusalem after the exile. We are also here to remember that the name Malachi isn't a name, it is a title. The Malachi. The Malachi is my messenger, my personal messenger that God is sending to Israel at a critical time. So we are remembering that the people have come back from exile. It's been a long time and they've done very little in the work that they were meant to do, that they were meant to, to be part of. So today I want to talk about this. Now, you know, as I looked through Malachi chapter two this week, it occurred to me that this reminds me of an old song. Now, if you are as old as I am, and there are very few of you who've lived this long, if you go back, there's an old song called Torn Between Two Lovers. It's a very old song from the late 60s, early 70s, and it feels like it could have been written out of today's passage. It could have been put there. It discusses the agony of a young woman who finds herself emotionally torn between two young men. She is torn between which one is the best for her, which one does she love more, how does she deal with this. She's very double-minded. If you know what that means, you know where I'm going to go with this sermon today. She feels very double-minded, very uncommitted. So today I want to look at the tragic consequences of being torn between two lovers. We can see here in Malachi chapter 2 that there are three crimes that you commit when you allow yourself to be divided between loyalties. That loyalty being your loyalty to the world and your loyalty to God. So a divided loyalty makes us guilty of three crimes that you see right here in Malachi chapter 2. The first one is this, but let me give you a warning. Let me give you a warning. Malachi chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore, this decree is for you priests. Ah, this is to the priestly caste. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says Yahweh of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. So he begins right here. God begins to tell them, you need to listen to these words because if you don't, it will wind up to your detriment. Oftentimes, God says, if you listen to me, here's the blessing you get. If you ignore me, these are the consequences. I said it earlier. I believe America has fallen into division because we no longer honor the God of the Old and New Testament. We no longer honor Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So because of that, we are reaping exactly what we've sown into our culture and into our society. So before we get going with our three problems, remember, God gives us a warning right here in verse 1. But now look at this. The thing that we see, the, the divided loyalties, these three crimes are this. The first crime is we have to change the truth to fit what people want to hear. We have to change the truth to fit what people want to hear. Malachi chapter 2 verse 3 says this. Look, I am going to rebuke your descendants and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away. Let me explain that. It sounds kind of nasty. When sacrifices were made in the temple, 
All of the remaining parts of the carcass and the burnt flesh and all those things, they were scooped up and people referred to them as the waste of the sacrifice or the feces of the sacrifice. When he says, I'm going to wipe your face with feces, he doesn't mean animal waste. He means literally these sacrifices that you have made that I have rejected, I'm going to shove them back in your face. All of your vain prayers, all your vain requests, all the things that you ask for that are not according to my will because you are not walking in my will, I'm going to throw them back in your face. That's the picture he's painting. I want you to see that clearly. It's not that this is some sort of derogatory thing talking about some sort of denigration of the people. This is simply saying everything that you burned, everything that you sacrificed, I'm going to throw it back in your face because it's a waste. I'm not going to accept it. He goes on to verse four. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Yahweh of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and and peace, and I gave these to him. I called for reverence and nothing. Sorry. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. You see, that's what we are. When we are walking with God, when we are speaking the truth, when we are giving the true revelation of God, only blessings can come to us and the people who hear us. When we, te when we speak the truth to our children, when we tell them, here are your actions, here are your consequences, we warn kids about that. Don't do this. Don't do this because it will backfire on you. When we speak that truth and kids make a mistake, and let's be honest, kids always make mistakes, then at least they see the truth of the words we've given them. When we sugarcoat things, when we hide things, when we water things down. Oh, I'm sure God won't be mad about this. And I'm sure God won't be mad about that. We all know that boys will be boys. Guess what? Boys will not be boys unless you teach them how to become men. The whole point of being a boy is to grow up into a man. Amen. And I see every day of my life on my university campus, 20 and 30 year old boys who've never faced responsibility, never faced what it means to grow up and take accountability for their actions because nobody ever required them to grow up and take those responsibilities. Think about it. Guys, when did we finally take responsibility for our lives? When did we finally step up and say, this is how a man should act. These are the choices a man should make. Usually it came right after we made some kind of tragic mistake. And when we made that mistake, someone who loved us pointed out that we broke the word of God. We broke the command of God, the plan of God. And that's why those things happened. And when we see the consequences of our actions, we grow up and learn to act like men. Okay, that's the whole point of boot camp in the military is to break you down, to build you back up and put you back together the right way to take little boys and turn them into grown men. That's what its purpose is. I only know that because I served in a military church and those guys taught me over those years what it was that they did in the military. One was a drill instructor and he told me what he did. He told me how he did it. And I began to understand the wisdom of boot camp. Let's keep going. 
Verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in your instruction. The New Testament warns us again and again, don't show partiality. Don't show favor to the wealthy. Don't show favor to the powerful. Today what we do, we show partiality to the intelligent. We show partiality to those who seem to have power and influence. So we set out a standard for kids, we teach kids the way they should live, the way they should make their decisions, the way they should do things. But what happens when we deal with grown people? Well, I'm sure you know that wasn't the best choice. Wait a second. What do you mean the best choice? There's God's choice and the world's choice. The best choice is only choice is going to be God's choice. But we find sometimes that when people are, are powerful or they are wealthy or they are uh, influential, we tend to pussyfoot around. We tend to set, put a handle them with kick gloves, as it were. And we can't do that. Look at the churches you see around you today. Listen to the sermons that are on television. Listen to the sermons that are on podcasts. And wealthy pastors are not calling out wealthy people for their sins against God. Why is it you can tell someone who's poor, working class, this is what God expects. But when you deal with the wealthy, you kind of mm, change it a little bit. Give them a little more wiggle room. Oh, let's be more understanding. Let's not actually say this. I heard someone make a statement. I know God loves me because my life is good. Wait a minute. The last time I checked, the word of God said he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and he causes the sun to shine on both equally. So you can't take your life situation and think that that is a blessing from God. The blessing from God is when you get on your knees and you come before the Father and you seek his face and you feel his presence, you feel his blessing, you read his word, you know what to say. I'll be honest, when you become a parent, it scares the life out of you. You guys may not notice because you haven't been parents yet, but it scares the life out of us when we had you guys. You know why? Because suddenly I'm not just responsible for me. I'm not just responsible for my wife. I'm responsible for my child. And that means I have to be more careful than ever to do and to speak what is God's words, God's ways, so that they can see the truth and follow that truth out. You have to change a lot of things in your life. And what God is doing right here in this first chapter, he says, you priests are changing my words to make people feel better, to give them warm fuzzies. You're changing what you're teaching them so that they are not offended by you. I'm sorry, the last time I checked, the word of God was offensive to those who were opposed to him. There are things in our culture which are definitely wrong. There are activities that are absolutely forbidden in the word of God, but we don't talk about them anymore. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, here's the thing. If you're going down the road, the highway to hell is it were if you're an ACDC fan. If you're going down that road, shouldn't someone tell you that the destination you're headed for is eternal destruction? Shouldn't someone tell you that what you're doing is going to cost you your soul? 
Oh, I'm sure God loves you. God will, God will take care of you. You're a good person. I'm sure he'll let you into heaven. Not the last time I checked. The last time I checked, the only way to get into heaven is through Jesus Christ. Do we tell people that? Do we show people from the word of God that the only thing that makes them better than anybody else, it doesn't make you better in terms of, you know, our society. It just makes you closer to the heart of God is when you accept his son. There were two thieves on that cross. Only one of them accepted Christ and that is the one that saw eternal life. The other one stood on his own, and we know where he wound up in the end. Here's the thing. He's telling these priests, you're not speaking my words. You're not warning my people. You're not telling them what I expect from them. He says, you've turned away from the way. You've caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant of Levi. See, that's what we have to be careful of. As a pastor, my only concern is that what I say from this pulpit is the truth. You may not like it. You may find it offensive. You may find it narrow-minded. But let me tell you what a wise pastor once said. When you are right, you can be narrow-minded. When there's only one way, that's the only way you can talk about it. If somebody else doesn't like it, that's not your problem. I didn't write the law of God. I didn't write the word of God. I'm just passing it along to you. So that's the first thing you see. When you start to get divided between the world and God, you start to compromise the truth that you speak to other people. Second thing is right here. You adopt false standards. Now, we all know about standards. We all know about what it means to have a personal code of ethics, right? Each one of us has a personal code of ethics, I would hope. That's how we make decisions. That's how we live our life. Malachi 2.10 don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? Okay, he's calling them out for not being honest with each other, not dealing honestly with each other, not showing integrity. In the word of God, it says when it comes down to the loaning of money, that one Israelite could not charge interest to another Israelite. If I gave you $50, I would expect $50 back. No interest. Now, it says when you deal with the foreign peoples, when you deal with others, if your business is to be a financial person, you can expect a certain amount of interest back on your money. That's how you make a living. But he says, don't do that to other Israelites. They were doing that. When it says to deal honestly with the lands and the borders and, and the landmarkers, it was against the law to move a landmarker. It was against the law in this country, and would get you shot, to move a landmarker, especially during like the great Oklahoma land rush. Your markers were put there and nobody was to touch them. That was a point of integrity. Do we have that kind of integrity today where we don't want to step on our neighbor just to get ahead? Verse 11, Judah has acted treacherously and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. Whew. He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about idolatry, what it means to turn your back on God and adopt a different God. They say that 85% of Americans are Christians. I think someone has been smoking dope because there's no way that 85% of the people in this country 
respect and are obedient to the word of God. Not the things that are happening in our society, not the way that we're living, not the way that the rich get richer and the poor get poor and the police get shot for doing their job. When teachers have to go to work and have to abandon it because there's no support and no love, nothing to lift them up. See, I think 85% of people in America believe in a God, but that God has different names. I once saw a man talk about the gods of America. He said the most common God in America is a God called I think. I think God would do this. I think God would do that. The second one was my God. My God would never judge someone for being like this. And my God would never judge you for doing that. And my God would never condemn anybody for anything they do at all times. So I think and my God are two of the greatest gods in America. And they don't exist. They're not real. Somebody was trying to describe this God that they believed in. I said, now, where did you get this idea? Which sacred text, which holy book did you draw this from? Oh, no, I just, it looked, it seemed natural to me. It seems like common sense. This is your, there's your third God in America, common sense. It makes common sense that God would accept everybody. God would accept all choices. God would accept all lifestyles. Will he? Do we not have an entire Old Testament that tells us what God expects and what God accepts? The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, forever. I would hope that when this church was founded in 1845, when the first sermon was preached in this church, that a pastor at that time opened a Bible read the words of that Bible and explained it to the people who were here and said, thus saith the word of God. Think about it. If you ever watch the Ten Commandments, uh, the Cecil B. DeMille one, I love it when Ramses is in there and he says, so let it be written, so let it be done. I mean, Yule Brenner's awesome, right? A ball of Pharaoh. You gotta love it. A ball of guys. Anyways, here's the thing. When the Pharaoh said it, and it was written down, that was the law, that's what was going to be done. Well, see, God has spoken, it has been written down, but we keep trying to change it. We're like the Supreme Court. We keep taking the Constitution and changing it and molding it and rewriting it till we're happy with it. It was once said that one of our founding fathers took a Bible, took a razor blade, cut out the parts he didn't like, squished the rest together, and called it the Bible. I'm sorry, the last time I checked, from the very first word of Genesis to the very last word of Revelation, that is the word of God. You don't take things out that you don't like. You don't excise them. You don't erase them. You know, if you have a government document that has details that shouldn't be revealed, they take a black marker and they mark through it, right? They redact it. You can't redact the word of God. It has to be complete. Consider this, Numbers 25, 1 through 8. While Israel lived in Shedem, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. We know that the people of Moab were the enemies of Israel, and they were not supposed to associate with them. They were not. Why? They had different gods. They worshiped different gods that had different practices than what God had set up for Israel. So while Israel was living in Shedem, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. All right. 
There's the first mistake right there. They invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. That's how the world begins to get us. Oh, come see how we celebrate. Oh, come see how we do this. It's kind of like when you when you go to a car lot to buy a used car. Here, let me show you the cars I've got. Okay, he takes you to the car he wants to sell you. And the people ate. That's it. That's where they get you. Oh, look at this beautiful Jaguar. No, go ahead and sit in the seats. Ooh, feel the leather. Ooh, feel the steering wheel. Every salesman knows once you are in that car, they have got a better than average chance of selling you that car. Once you experience it physically, feel it. You want it. So what did they do? They invited the people, come see the sacrifice. These sacrifices were marked with loud music and, shall we say, little to no clothing. So these sacrifices were very debaucherous. They were very raunchy. They were very nasty. But they said, come see it. Oh, well, come eat the sacrifices. Come eat this rich food and everything that we have spiced up. Third thing they did, and they bowed down to their gods. Oh, let's show some respect. We can go down and we can bow a little bit. We can bend our knee. We don't want to offend anybody. I'm sorry. God said, I am God and what? There is no other. You don't start playing with other religions. I don't know how many people I have talked to over my life. Oh, well, we, we took out some tarot cards. Ooh. We got out a Ouija board. Ooh. We took the Ouija board to a graveyard, and guess what? Something came calling. We have a friend of ours, and she was raised in the Mormon church. So she went to a graveyard. She took a Ouija board, and they started playing with it, and they got visited. And even that didn't scare them, and it should have. You don't play with things that you don't understand. You guys have no idea what it's like to deal with demonic entities. You have no idea what it is like to deal with satanic forces. It's not just in the movies, guys. It's not heads spinning around and shooting out pea soup. It's much scarier. To see a human being possessed by a demonic entity is a terrifying thing. It is scary. Uh, I've seen it in Taiwan a number of times. I've seen it in this country. And believe me, when you live between four Buddhist temples, you see things you don't want to see and you see things you can't unsee. Somebody once said, when you see the things that go bump in the night, you can't forget it. And it's true. Once you see that demons are real, once you see that Satan is truly active in the world, you can't unsee that. And it will really sober you up in a hurry. So the people went and they, they saw the sacrifices, they ate the food, and they bowed down to the gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel. Now a little bit further down. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and the sight of the whole congregation. God has hit them with a plague. People are dying everywhere because they have started associating with these foreign gods. The whole reason God says, don't be, don't be yoked to an unbeliever is because unbelievers are nice people. I know a lot of unbelievers who are really good people. 
But when you make them an intimate part of your life, they will slowly draw you away from God by showing you, oh, there's nothing wrong with this or nothing wrong with that. I've had family members who were unbelievers. I loved them dearly. But they start dragging your family into things like aliens and alien visitation and people. There's nothing you can do. It just goes insane from there. So they brought the Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and the whole congregation. They're crying because people are dying. And this guy does the very thing right in front of them, right in front of the tent of meeting, right where the people are weeping and crying out for God's mercy. It says this, while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting, then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. He rose up and left the congregation. He took a spear in his hand. He went after the man of Israel into his inner chamber, into the bedroom, and he pierced both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Phineas goes down in the history of Israel as the one who saved them from this plague. Because God was going to keep punishing them while they kept sinning. To stop them, to get them to see that what they were doing was wrong. Now, I do not advocate this behavior. This is something that happened thousands of years ago. But it was something that God moved Phineas to do at that moment. Now, what's great now is that since Jesus Christ came, grace and mercy have taken the place of judgment. We don't kill sinners. We don't burn witches at the stake. We don't go after tarot card readers or palm readers. We don't do that because God has brought a different way for us to deal with it. In these days, this is how God was training people to follow him. But now we have Christ, and Christ has shown us grace and he's shown his mercy, and he would show mercy to the tarot card reader, the palm reader. He would show grace and mercy on the Jonathan Edwards who speak to the dead. By the way, you can't speak to the dead. You can only speak to demons who imitate the dead. Uh, we're going to get to that sermon a little bit later on. But there's a lot of Christians who fool around with astrology and they fool around with demonism and they fool around with this nonsense without looking at the word of God and knowing that it's absolutely forbidden. There's just things that we don't do. So we change the truth to make people happy. We change the truth not to offend people. Believe me, I would rather be fired as a pastor for offending you than I would get a big salary and a big contract and go on TV and know that I was lying through my teeth every day of my life. How some pastors do it, I absolutely do not know unless their consciences are seared and they just don't know the word of God at all. Third thing I want you to see is this. We trade love for lust. Those two words mean exactly different things. Love is a devotion to who someone is, and lust is an attraction to someone for what they can give you. Two different things, two completely different situations. Malachi 2.13. This is another thing that you do, and God is still blasting the people. This is another thing that you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. God's already told them, I'm not going to receive your offerings. I'm not going to hear your prayers, because they're given with an impure heart. You're not seeking my face. You're seeking my blessing. You're not seeking my word. You're seeking what I can give you. That's like 
the way people chase each other. I, I watch this show on TV and these guys are chasing these girls and these girls are chasing these guys and these guys are chasing these guys. And I didn't understand that one at all. They're chasing them for what they can get from them, from what they can get from their person, not for what they feel about them, not for who they are as people, not for the respect they feel. I've told you all the story of Oscar Wilde many times. Oscar Wilde, famous writer, but he was also famously a pedophile person. He liked little boys. He also had an adult lover whose name was Robbie. On his deathbed, Oscar Wilde called for his lover, Robbie, come here. And Robbie came in. He says, Robbie, did you ever love the little boys that we were with just for their own sake, just for their own being, just for who they are? And Robbie sat there and he went, no, of course not. And then Oscar Wilde did the one thing that nobody ever believed he would do. He said, get me a priest. At the end of his life, he realized he had done the most despicable thing that you can do in this life in hurting little children. And he begged for someone to come and show him how to be forgiven. He was dying. There was no way to save his life. He was a dead man. And he knew that he was going to face a holy God. And he didn't want to do that without being ready for it. That's what's happening in America. We are trading love for lust. Look at it, Malachi 2.13. So he says, that's that other thing that you've done. You've covered it with tears, but I have no respect for you. Verse 14. And you ask, why? Why doesn't God respect it? And then he says this, because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of his spirit. What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. I know what you're thinking. There's two things here, not one. There's two things here. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garments with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. First thing that's happening is this. All the people of Israel, these young men, they're marrying an Israelite woman to have children, right? To raise them up in the fear and the knowledge of who Yahweh is. But they're seeing all these younger pagan women, these women who have no standards, these women who have no restraint, who are not um, adverse to doing whatever it is that they want to do. And these men are leaving their wives for no reason. They're abandoning them, throwing them out in the cold so that they can have this new, younger, more attractive wife. That's the first thing that's happening. But what's really happening is this. Israel has forsaken his bride, which is God Almighty, the God who brought him out of Egypt, the God who delivered him through the Red Sea, the God who took him to the mountain of God in Saudi Arabia, the God who gave them everything, his word, his law, and they have thrown him aside to grab some new God, some more attractive God, some more lascivious God, some God that will be without standards, without requirements. They want a God who doesn't want anything from them. Isn't that what everybody wants in the world? Don't they want a God who loves everybody, accepts Everybody requires nothing of you. Somebody once said, God is not your grandfather. 
He is not a grandfather sitting in a chair by a fireplace, winking and laughing at the naughty behavior of his grandkids. This is not God. God is a God who would be honored. And he is honored when we obey his word. Now he is honored when we accept his son, Jesus Christ. When we allow him to place his spirit in us, to live in us, to work in us, to do in us. God works in the world through his people. That's you. You are his people. You're more than that, though. You know what you really are? You're going to love this one, especially if you come out of a Catholic background like some of us. You are a priest. Let me show you what I mean. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. You are God's treasured possession. Think about the most precious thing to you. Was that a brooch from your grandmother? Was that your grandfather's Bible? Your great-grandfather's Bible? You know, you, you pick that up and that's your great-grandfather right there passing that along to you. So you're his treasure possession among all peoples, for all of the earth is mine. And you shall be me, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. They weren't just a nation, they were a nation of priests. Consider again, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Wow. You see, in the first one, he's talking to Israel. In 1 Peter, he's talking to the church composed of Jews, of Gentiles, of people who were pagans, of people who were godless. Now they are his people, his priests. When you think about a priest, what do you think of? Two things. A priest is a position. It's a position that you hold. It's a position of relationship. The children of Levi were priests by lineage. They had the privilege of going into the holy place, of standing in the stillness before the menorah, the light of God, to stand before the showbread, that offering made to Yahweh. They went inside that tent of meeting and they were in God's presence. The other people, they couldn't do that. They didn't have that privilege, that position. We now can step into the holy place. But even more than that, through Christ, we can step into the holy of holies. Like Esther, we can burst in before the king at any time, standing before him, and he will extend the scepter of grace and mercy to us every time because we are his children. The world doesn't see us that way. The world sees us by how much money we have or what kind of car we drive or, or what kind of job we have. The world sees us by the things that don't matter, but God sees us. Only the blood of Christ on us that make us acceptable to him. But a priest is more than that. A priest is also a function. The priest was given that title to do one thing and one thing only, bring Yahweh to people. 
They helped to offer the sacrifices. They helped to burn those offerings to God so that God could look down with favor and forgiveness and mercy and grace. But today, you are the tabernacle of God. God is inside you. You take him with you to work. You take him with you to school. You take him with him wherever you go. And your function, church, priests, your function is to reconcile a sinful, rebellious, angry, cop-killing, drug-distributing. The world is a mess. We go into it and bring the peace of God. We bring reconciliation with the Father. Our job is to reconcile lost men to a holy God, not to make them feel good about their lostness. When I'm at work, I can only do so much in terms of being a pastor in a university. But I can say things to people and hope that they take root. I can make statements to people. I can encourage Christians. I, one young man came in this week and I said, what are you up to today, boss? He said, I'm here to do ministry. I said, well, praise God. Don't forget the Lord goes with you. The Lord is with you in what you do. And he smiled. And he said, thank you. See, if I do nothing more than encourage people in their pursuit of God, then I've done my job. I am a priest, one who reconciles lost people to God, one who reconciles broken people to the healer of all things. Think about what a privilege that is. We have a world that no longer views marriage as sacred or lasting or binding. That is because our world is broken. So what do we do? We bring God's forgiveness, his healing, his restoration to people who are broken because we are broken. We are shattered in our own lives without God's grace and mercy in us. What a privilege. God was angry at the priests because they were not doing their job. They were not exhibiting their relationship with him. In fact, they were decrying their relationship. They were creating a different kind of priesthood. I encourage you this week, go be a priest. Go be an instrument of reconciliation, restoration, grace, mercy. Extend that to whomever you can. You can't give it to everybody because most people don't want it. But as much as you have the chance, go be a priest. Because exactly what it says in 1 Peter, you are a royal priesthood, a royal nation. You are light in the darkness. You are salt in a world where all the food tastes like mashed broccoli or something. I don't know, something horrible. That is what the word of God has to say to us. Let's pray. <laughs>